This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. That's right. We are back. Another episode of Around the Rim. I am your host, LaChina Robinson, joined by my fabulous producer, Tarika Foster-Brasby. And we have been watching a lot of basketball. I've been in Stockton. Tarika's been at home, but she's been watching. Tarika, you're watching, right? I am so watching. What did you send me? You sent me a message about Asia Wilson. What did you, you were, you were all hyped up. I was so upset with Asia for being in foul trouble so early. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it happens, Trigger. It happens. Did you see Morgan Williams though? I, I did see Morgan Williams out there. Record breaking, amazing performance. Oh, 41 points. And then the interview afterwards where she said she dedicated to her father who had passed away three years ago. Fans, you, you, y'all know how much I love women's basketball, but when these kind of moments happen, I, I get lost. I mean, I was, I was, my emotions, that game was so good. I was so nervous. Then Morgan was hitting all these shots. Then she was crying. I was just a mess. Mm-hmm. But that is why we love the game of basketball. And we're going to continue the conversation coming off of the regionals this past weekend. Remember, we had Oklahoma City, Bridgeport. Stockton and Lexington, but we now are down to four teams. So congratulations to the Connecticut Huskies, the Stanford Cardinals, Mississippi State Bulldogs, and the South Carolina Gamecocks. That's right, the SEC with two teams in the final four. And um, yeah, we had some big time performances. We had Oregon. Congrats to Kelly Gray's team, made the Elite Eight. Um, so much to talk about, but let me give you a rundown on the show. So we will have joining us in the first quarter, Maria Taylor, who has been in studio with Rebecca Lobo and Annie Landers, doing a great job taking us through all of the women's tournament coverage. Second quarter, we have Carol Lawson, my girl from the DMV. Love her to death. She's one of my favorite people. I'm just, man, and she's the GOAT. Come on. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, pretty much. Um, and then third quarter, we are going to have with us Danielle Donahue, who's the executive director of the WBCA, which is the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. She's going to give us the lowdown on what's happening at convention in Dallas. That's right. The Women's Basketball Coaches Convention happens simultaneously with the Final Four. Fans, remember... The semifinals happen on Friday this year. They've changed the format. So it's Friday, Sunday for the women's basketball semifinals, and then the finals is on Sunday. So make sure you're watching all ESPN coverage. Thank you for all the tweets on the podcast, all the questions. Like, we really appreciate the love. Keep telling your friends. And with that, we are headed into the first quarter. First quarter. So we are going to head into this first quarter with someone that may be familiar to some, may not be familiar to others, but is definitely familiar to those of us who have had the opportunity to be surrounded by someone full of energy, full of positivity. Um, Georgia Bulldog till she dies, okay? (laughs) Maria Taylor is joining us on the show today. Hi, Maria. Hey, ladies. I'm just excited hey. that I made the Around the Rim cut. Like, I was waiting. I listened to this <laughs> podcast. Like, I reload and upload to see when the new one's coming out. And just keep me updated on all things women's basketball. So thank you both for doing that. Yo, well, you were you were borderline, like, out of our reach, though, Maria. So you're, like, almost nope. in that Doris Burke group where we were like, you know, um, Maria might be Tariqa, too big for the pod. 
What'd you do? I did. <laughs> okay, see, okay, now this is, this is an unfair <laughs> advantage here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we definitely, you've been on the radar. Tari- I told Tarika, I was like, we got to get Maria. But now I was like, can we get Maria? So Tarika <laughs> was able to hook it up. She knows, she, she can get with anybody. I she, said magic. She just knows everybody. Black girl magic. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's right. Well, anyway, Maria, we've been seeing more of you in the women's basketball world this year than we have in years past because you've taken on a new role uh, with ESPN, ESPNW. Tell us about that. How do you like what you're doing now? First of all, I love it. But, um, yeah, so this year my role changed from what I normally did during women's basketball season uh, when I started out with ESPN was mostly analyst work. So um, I did SEC women's basketball on Sundays and – to go all the way back to my time at Georgia, right after I graduated, I did radio for Georgia women's basketball, and that's kind of how I got into television and met with China for the first time. She was working Georgia Tech broadcast, or I think, I don't know if you were a special assistant to coach or what, but um, we ran into each other then. You were doing everything, weren't you? I was like, I don't know what she does, but she's so nice. <laughs> I wish she's doing radio, but she might be on staff. <laughs> yeah, I was being nosy, just doing everything. <laughs> yeah. Um, but basically, I wanted to get into the hosting role more. I do sidelines for the men's college basketball Saturday night game. And I, I want to find ways to stay involved in women's basketball. And I, I just want to become a better host and learn what that's like. So I got to host the selection show this year. I did a lot of um, Monday nights in the studio with Rebecca Lobo and Andy Landers. And I've had a blast with them the entire time. And we've been in the studio for like, 12 hours straight during the first and uh, second rounds of the tournament hanging out. And this past week was our last week in Bristol together, but we'll be all together at the final four as well. And it has just been fun to, to watch every single game and, and feel like you're a part of it to a certain extent um, and, and finding different storylines to talk about and the shows that we get to do after every game. I mean, there's times when we're, we're filling 30 minutes waiting for the next game to happen, and, and we just get to have fun in the studio. I mean, we're not bound by the game, so we just talk about whatever. Um, so it's fun. It's like a talk show about women's basketball. It's basically your podcast with, with cameras. Yeah, yes, that's what I was just about to say because I love watching you guys. And I'll, and Maria's be a modest for all the fans that are listening. Uh, Maria is top notch talent. Like she has been on the biggest football games on sideline. She, as she mentioned, she's done analyst work. Heck, you did some play by play in studio, in studio, <laughs> not just play by play, but play by play in studio. We so we're gonna get to. Yeah, we went down. We had some technical difficulties, so we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit more about studio in a minute. But Maria, you have been. I mean, your career career and you you've earned it you've deserved it but you are you've moved quickly you know up the ladder in terms of just the the events you've done um your profile and it's great to see especially as an african-american woman um Mm -hmm. just take us back to you know this participating in sports as a young woman and just kind of some influences that you've had along the way in your career and how you arrived at where you are now well i think for me and I'm 6'2", so China, you know, <laughs> when you're really oh, tall, yeah. like basically from the beginning, <laughs> you're slotted to play some kind of sport. You don't know what it's going to be, but it's going to be something. And I yeah. <laughs> uh, started playing basketball in sixth grade just because my neighbors were like, come out and come play with us. You're tall. And I loved it. And then by ninth grade, I wanted to try something else. And that's when I started playing volleyball. And I ended up playing both sports in college. So I played for Coach Landers at Georgia for a year, my sophomore year, and played volleyball all four years. That was my primary sport. And um, 
I don't know. It, it was the thing that gave me confidence. I mean, I wasn't really sure about myself or my body because you're just lanky and awkward and you can't find jeans that fit right and da-da-da-da. <laughs> yes. But I would get to basketball and volleyball practices and feel like this, these are my people, like this is where I'm supposed to be. It lifted you up and built confidence. And, um, you know, ever since that time, you know, high school and AAU and stuff like that, I felt like I could do anything. And when I got to college, I always thought that I was going to be a doctor or something. I wanted to do sports medicine. I took one biology class and was like, that's not happening. And then I changed it to business. I took accounting. That's not happening. And then my roommate was in journalism and doing broadcast. And I was like, you know, I could kind of do some sports or something. We have people that come to our volleyball games. That might be awesome. And that's how, you know, sports have followed me throughout my whole career as well. Um, I started out as just a volleyball analyst. The first thing that I did on television was doing volleyball for the SEC because they didn't know anyone else who had a former athlete who could possibly or was interested in television, and that's how I got into it. Um, did radio for Georgia, and I ran into ESPN people like JV, John Vitalo, at um, ESPN or SEC's football media days. So one Hoover went to Hoover, and someone introduced me to him, and he was like, well, if you've called volleyball games before. We have volleyball on ESPNU. So he gave me a few volleyball games and a football game. And that kind of started the transition. And every year I've done a little something different. So it started out with just volleyball. Then it was volleyball and basketball and football. And then my package of football has changed every year as far as, like, the time. So it was a 3.30 ESPN-ABC game. And then it was the ESPN2 prime game. And then it was the SEC Saturday night game. And then this past year was SEC Nation. So I went from sideline reporting to hosting like our version, um, our roadshow that's similar to game day or formatted similar to game day. And basketball all changed this year too, um, to be able to actually go and do the women's tournament. But that, that's one of the biggest things for me. Like we, ESPN doesn't have that many championships and women's basketball is one that they put a lot of time, effort, and like they want these shows and these athletes to be great and look great. And I just, I love to see how many resources go towards the women's game at this time of the season, especially, you know, like it's fun to be around that. Like this is something I would never give up. You know how you have options with China as you grow in your career. And I know that like you, I've seen you doing men's games and stuff like that. Like there's going to be times when you could angle away from certain sports. Like for me, maybe that would be volleyball, but I always keep a couple of volleyball games on my schedule. Cause that's what taught me. That's what got me to where I am. Like, I'm not yeah. giving that up and I want to be around those yeah. athletes, you know, and they give me life. So I don't know. That's basically my yeah. background, but yeah, no, that's, that's a great point because I was excited that, that, you know, we could pull you in, you know, on the women's side. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it looked like you were just going to jump right in, into good morning America. And I was like, <laughs> no, Maria's <laughs> <laughs> gone. Um, so I was just excited to see that you were going to be more involved on the women's side. You know, you're just such an inspiration for young girls and you know what you bring. And, and I think Tarika hit the nail on the head, just your energy, like what you stand for and not just, the great job that you do but just everything that you are uh, you know and it's so great to see you on the platform where we know young girls are watching and not that they don't watch football and other sports but i just mm-hmm. think that women's basketball you're going to come into contact um with that many more young women um so it's definitely good to have you so we were talking about studio can you give fans mm-hmm. just an idea of what it's like what you guys have been doing through the <laughs> through the first and second round and the regionals <laughs> 
So first and second round, this is what I didn't know, by the way. I didn't know anything that was happening when I agreed and like said, yeah, this is what I want to do. You know, you're like hyper and you're excited about it, but you don't know what's going on. That was me the first right. and second round. So I knew we were going to be in the studio all day, but what I didn't completely understand was four games are going to be happening at the same time. They're all going to tip about five minutes apart from each other. We're going to come on air and, you know, say hey and, like, throw you to a, a game. I don't know where you're going. But in West Virginia, you might be watching West Virginia playing, and then another game comes on, and we have to come back to the studio, and I have to toss a regional viewing audience to another game. And so we do that four times in the window. And then all those half times are happening back to back to back to back. So we come on, say we do a halftime for Tennessee-Louisville, then two minutes later, maybe not even, it's like, immediately after we've thrown that audience out, we're getting another audience in to do a fresh new halftime. A lot of times it's the same thing, but in the beginning we have to at least talk the game that's coming on. And sometimes I'd literally have to look behind me and see what was graph- what graphic was on behind me to know what halftime we were in <laughs> because it was coming so fast. Um, and so, of course, right. each day that got a little bit easier because there were less games and teams are getting eliminated. But the first two rounds, it was always either three or four games going on at a time. And you're starting at either 11 or noon. And the last game is probably the last set of games was tipping off at nine or 10. So we're there the whole time supplying all the halftime reports. And we always taped one segment before we started anything, because just in case, we were on live doing the halftime for one game. You might be looking at the tape segment and then you would come back to us for your second segment in the halftime and we would be live in that right. one, if that makes sense. Wow. Um, yes. And the whole time I'm also doing studio updates. So if something crazy is happening in the Baylor game, we got to update the UConn audience so that they know too. You know, So you, you don't really get up much. <laughs> if the games are going on, you're sitting there. Um, and we would we would basically have bathroom breaks and food being brought into us, and we're all trying to watch all the games and keep up and keep your stat broadcast up because you need to come on and sound informed about all the games that are happening in your window. That wow. sounds like a ton of work, but I can't imagine <laughs> I can't imagine a better person being able to take this on than you, Rebecca, and Coach Landers. Like it's a great <laughs> cast. I love seeing it. Yes. So Maria, let our mm-hmm. fans know where they can find you and follow you because you're gonna be in Dallas. You're gonna be yes. at the final four. <laughs> let our fans know where they can find you and where they can follow you for all the cool because your Twitter is always lit, okay? <laughs> always. it's at maria taylor seven and that's instagram and twitter if you're on snapchat i'm i rep zone seven because it's an atlanta thing and i made it my own zone and that's what i live in (laughs) in alfaretta (laughs) (laughs) look atl slash alfaretta Well, I will see you in Dallas, Maria. Thank you so much for your time and everything that you're doing for the game. We love you. You're a star. Please don't leave us too soon for Good Morning America. I ain't going nowhere. (laughs) (laughs) Love y'all, too. Have a great day. Thank you, sweetie. Second quarter, Inside the Huddle. Hey, basketball fans, it's the second quarter, and we are still on our Road to Dallas podcast and talked about the broadcasting side. Now it's time to talk about basketball. We have with us none other than ESPN analyst Kara Lawson joining the podcast. Welcome, Kara. Hey, Latrina. Thanks for having me. 
Well, we're excited. Um, took me a little bit longer than I thought to, to get you back on, but we are happy to talk some basketball this time around. Excellent work um, as we all enjoyed watching you through the uh, first and second rounds and the regional. I really love you and Doris and Dave together. Great chemistry and lots of fun. But let's start with Bridgeport because I know that's where you just left. And obviously, uh, Connecticut still continuing to roll, still dominating. Uh, and, you know, getting right to the question, everyone is, is always wondering and, and asking, you know, can anybody beat UConn? Did you see anything in Bridgeport that would lead you to believe that UConn is more vulnerable than we may have originally thought? Uh, no. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see anything. Um, you know, this this team and this program have the unique ability to play their best basketball at the right time. And we, throughout the tournament every year, have upsets. We have surprises, teams that we think are going to end up uh, in the Final Four that don't because on a given night, they just don't play up to their potential for one reason or another. And we just don't see that with Connecticut. Uh, they, they, don't, they don't play bad games. They might have poor possession or a poor stretch, but they don't play bad games. You have to beat them. You have to execute at a really high level. And I think the scary thing for opponents of Connecticut and specifically Mississippi State uh, in the semifinal is Katie Lou Samuelson hasn't even gotten on track yet. I mean, her Mm. shooting numbers in the NCAA tournament are well below where she was uh, during the regular season, where she was one of the best in terms of efficiency in the country, especially when you look at how many shots she was making. So that Mm. to me is a scary thing because I don't know if she's got five or six, should they win in their semifinal, potential bad shooting nights in a row. That seems like a lot for someone historically that's one of the best in the country. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't put my money on Katie Lou continuing to miss shots because, as you mentioned, she is a great shooter. And just to recap for fans, um, in Bridgeport, Connecticut beat UCLA 86-71. Oregon had, uh, was the surprise team in Bridgeport, the number 10 seed behind Kelly Graves, took out the Maryland Terrapins. Before we uh, leave Bridgeport, we'll get more into Mississippi State, UConn in a minute, but before we leave Bridgeport, you know, was it Oregon was that good in your opinion, or, or did you feel like Maryland did not have their best night? We've gotten some questions for fans, you know, what happened to the Terps after, you know, them feeling like they were underseated? Was this more about Oregon or, or Maryland in your opinion, Kara? In these cases, I think it's always about a little bit of both. What Oregon did was they had a, a game plan to slow down the tempo, to force Maryland to execute in the half court, to try and take away their transition and make them become really good in the half court in order to beat them. And Maryland was not able to do it. They just weren't able to do it. They weren't able to execute. Maryland, by force of what they do defensively, um, by force of their tremendous talent uh, of Jones and, and Walker Kimbrough, a lot of times they overpower teams through the course of the season with, with that talent and with their athleticism. And Oregon was so tight with what they were doing that they were dictating the types of shots 
and the types the type of offense that Maryland could run. And I thought Maryland in the first half, um, I don't want to say panicked, but got a little bit one on one, head down, drive heavy, um, mm-hmm. and then defensively they they didn't really ratchet up their pressure until the second half. For what reason I don't know, but uh, it, it was not a normal performance for Maryland, but I think Oregon had a lot to do with that. And I was very impressed with Oregon in that regard, being as young a team as they were, to be able to lock into a game plan and continue to do it. I mean, they controlled the game the whole game. I mean, they had control from the beginning. Uh, it, It was a remarkable performance by them. Yeah, I was, I mean, you know, one thing I was impressed by, not only their poise, they were fearless, you know, I mean, they didn't seem scared of anyone they played, you know, their size, I think some teams may underestimate, I thought they bothered Chatori Walker Kimbrough a little bit because they had length. Um, and use that a little bit on our jump shots. But I was just curious what you thought about that. So UConn rolls on in Bridgeport. We're going to head down to Oklahoma City. Uh, kind of surprising. Baylor just really romped Louisville 97-63. to 63. I thought Jeff Wall's team would have a better showing there. And then Mississippi State in the bottom half of Oklahoma City beat number three Washington, ending the spectacular career of, of Kelsey Plum. Um, in the Baylor-Mississippi State game, which was an outstanding game, You've played point guard. You've played at the highest levels. You've been in this situation um, in the in the NCAA tournament. How great was Morgan Williams' performance um, when you when you match that up with others you have seen, but also for a point guard to to put up forty one points in that situation? Yeah, I mean, you you really run out of adjectives just describing what she was able to do because you know, in my opinion, going into the Elite Eight, Baylor was playing you know, as good as anybody in the tournament. I mean, you you would say yep. UConn is the number one team, but I would say Baylor was right behind them in terms of teams that have been playing at a really high level on both ends of the floor. So, um, you know, for Mississippi State to beat them, uh, you knew it would take an extraordinary performance, and that's what it took. I mean, this is a <laughs> player that only averages 10 points a game on the season, is not known as a as a – knock down three-point shooters. She can certainly hit three-point shots, but that's not a huge piece to what she brings to that team. And, I mean, she just willed her team to, to that victory. And on both ends of the floor, I mean, Alexis Jones could not get clean looks at the basket. And one of the things that gave you a lot of confidence with Baylor was that down the stretch they had a player that could create something. You know, those big players down low, um, you know, those are great, but when you need to get a bucket, you know, it's nice to have a guard that can create either an opportunity for themselves or their post players. And Alexis Jones couldn't do it with Morgan William guarding her. She couldn't do it. She couldn't get enough of a window to get a quality look at. And so I was as impressed defensively with how William played and taking that challenge as I was with the gaudy offensive, you know, statistics. Uh, one of the great performances in NCAA tournament history, and I don't say that lightly because you look at the regional final, an opportunity to give your team their first Final Four appearance against the number one seed. I mean, I, I, I can't think of many uh, many regional final performances that were as good as Morgan Williams to send her team to the Final Four. Yeah, when we look at the list of most points in NCAA tournament game, Elite Eight or later, 
1982, Lori Ballman. I hope I'm not saying that. Um, I hope I said her last name correctly. 1993, Cheryl Soup, 47 points. Sorry, Lori had 50. Jane Appel had 46 in the Elite Eight in 2009. And then it was Morgan William who tied Candace Wiggins. Um, Wiggins was in 2008, but that 41 points would tie Wiggins for her Elite Eight performance. So you're right. She's amongst the best in history. So let's get down to it. Um, does Mississippi State have enough to beat UConn? Uh, you know, I, I think there are a couple things that they're going to have to try and impact. You know, a couple areas they're going to have to try and impact the game. Uh, one is I, I think they have the ability to bring pressure defensively. And one of the things you have to try and be able to do is to disrupt the rhythm of UConn offensively. And there's, there's many different ways to disrupt rhythm on the offensive end, but I think Mississippi State, that is kind of the core piece of what they need to be able to do is to disrupt what, what UConn does. Um, mm-hmm. Now, their strength is that they have depth. So I think having a full-pressure game, um, you know, utilizing – full-court pressure, pressure in the half-court, but staying sound because UConn has great counters off that pressure. But I think Mississippi State, that is their, that is their best shot at it, is, is to try and turn UConn over, to try and bring pressure, maybe some double teams, you know, be opportunistic with that. Um, but that is their best chance because I, I think you have to get in transition against UConn. You can't expect to score against their half-court defense all night. So you have to look to push and transition. That's when you're going to get clean looks. And I think Mississippi State's best chance to get themselves in transition is off of the turnover and off of their defense. Yeah, and you make a great point. I mean, I think they can be disruptive. You know, I mean, we've seen that. Uh, Vic Schaefer is an awesome when it comes to game planning. And, I mean, you know, it does help that Mississippi State has been putting up points. I mean, they put up 94 against Baylor, 75 against Washington, 92 against DePaul, 110 against Troy. But, you know, one thing that I saw happen to Syracuse, you know, I didn't think Alexis Peterson and Brittany Sykes, for example, were as effective because the backcourt for UConn is so big. Like, they cover up shots like not no one I, I've seen play this year. Um, they don't necessarily have to be in the exact right positions to contest shots. So when you think about Morgan William or you think about Victoria Vivians, who will need to provide some half-court offense, it's really hard against that, that UConn backcourt. Um, because they can extend with their length depending on who's in the game. And then you have Dangerfield who can match quickness with Morgan William. So we're going to run really quickly through the other side of the bracket. Um, Notre Dame fell short uh, to, to Stanford in an exciting game. You know, I was, I was really, wow, I mean, what an awesome game. And you feel for Muffin McGraw because there were so many situations where you know Brianna Turner would have helped. So the Cardinal rode to the Final Four. And then in Stockton, um, South Carolina, which, you know, I, I worked the Stockton region um, you know, and I said this last night, South Carolina has always been great defensively, but I think this is the most talented offensive team Don has ever had. I was impressed with Ty Harris, their freshman point guard. Um, you know, obviously, Asia Wilson was great, but the MVP of the Stockton region was Kayla Davis, and for good reason. At 6'2", she caused all kinds of problems. So looking at that lineup versus McPhee, I'm a huge McPhee fan all of a sudden. I mean, I'm telling you, I, I'm riding that girl's coattails for, for Stanford. But looking at the matchup between Stanford and, and South Carolina, Kara, what do you see there? Well, this is about as easy, as even as it gets. And I, I would agree with you that South Carolina's firepower 
um, is at a higher level uh, than it's ever been in terms of the number of options. And, you know, what's interesting is is obviously them losing Elena Coates has made them more versatile, uh, has made them more unpredictable. And, you know, a lot of times you you sit down to scout a team and, you know, Tara Vanderveer, who's a legendary preparer, (laughs) you know, watching as many games as as possible – to try and get a beat on what they're going to do. She's always so locked in to what the other team's going to do. But there's not a large sample size of this version of the South Carolina team uh, to be able to, you know, figure out kind of how they're going to do things because it's vastly different than it was with Coach there because she was such a feature piece to what they do on both ends of the floor. I think they're more unpredictable. I think they're scarier um, because you have – more space on the floor. See, guards need space to operate, right? It, 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 yeah. that, that's what you thrive on. And, and so that's why I think we've seen an uptick in Kayla Davis in terms of her production. And it seems to me, you were out there, but it seems to me that Kayla Davis is just more engaged overall um, because yes. you know that you're counted on, you know, to produce. And so when you've gone from being a feature player to – being a role player, which is what she was for the better part of the season, that's hard to figure out where you fit in. But now you go back to what you you see as your more natural role, and that's being a featured player on the offensive end. It's kind of like getting your yourself back, getting your game back, and, and you feel really good and confident about what you can bring. Yeah, you know, you're absolutely right about that. And I didn't even think about the sample size, you know, because every night, even without codes, it seems like there's been a different factor. Like Asia was in foul trouble last night and they were still able to pull it out. Or Alicia Gray, you know, has been more of a factor. Or the plays that, that Ty Harris made down the stretch. So Kayla Davis gets it going. But then who is the key contributor down the stretch? Donye Pliny off of the bench is has really been great for their defense because at six foot she can do a lot of things. And I thought that for Stanford, um, the one thing, I mean, obviously, we've said this, Brianna Turner being missing. So then how do they respond to a, a player like Asia Wilson? There's no one in the country like Asia Wilson. You know, there just isn't. And so at 6'5", she presents some, some, some challenges with her versatility. She's driving more from the high post, you know, without Elena Coates in there. So I, I can't wait to see what Tara Vanderveer is going to come up with. But how awesome is that to have Dawn against Tara when you think about the history of our game and, and two people who have really impacted it going back to the 96 Olympic team. Um, so really happy for Dawn and Tara. Carol, you had the last say. Is there anything else that stood out to you so far in the NCAA tournament, just overall observations or, or anything that, um, you know, you were just surprised by or, or impressed with? Uh, you know, I was really impressed. I mean, they, they were kind of the Cinderella of the of the tournament. I was really impressed, obviously, getting a chance to see Oregon up close and personal here for two games. And even though UConn gave it to them, that just makes them pretty much like everyone else in the country, right? I mean, they uh, they were young, they were fearless. You can see that there's a lot um, a lot of excitement for the future of of Oregon basketball on the West Coast. And you know, the Pac-12 uh, has had a great tournament so far. A, a team in the Final Four this year. You know, last year they had two with Oregon State and Washington. This year they have Stanford. And uh, you know, it, I, I think that team is a team to keep an eye out on because as freshmen to get that type of experience you know even though they lost on on monday night to connecticut what they 
what they were able to gain in terms of playing in that type of environment, I think, is going to serve them a, a lot moving forward because they're going to be able to point to where the gap is, where they need to improve. But you look at that team and how many freshmen and underclassmen are playing big roles. Uh, that's going to be a team to watch for sure the next three seasons. Absolutely, and you're right. The Pac-12 is definitely on the map, and it's been fun to watch that conference come alive. It makes better basketball for all of us. That's Carol Lawson. Carol, we look forward to uh, watching you, or actually this year listening to you on the call, um, as you will be joining Dave O'Brien and Doris Burke in the semifinals in the finals. So that's awesome for us. Um, Kara is on Twitter, at Carol Lawson 20 And fans, don't forget, there's a little change in format to the Final Four this year. So Friday Friday, March 31st, Stanford versus South Carolina, 7.30 p.m. on ESPN2. After that, Mississippi State versus UConn at 9.30 on ESPN2. We hope that you will tune in. Kara, thank you so much for all of your hard work, and thank you so much for making time. We know you're very, very busy. Thank you for coming on the podcast. All right. Thanks for China. Fans, stay right where you are because we are going to talk WBCA convention for all my coaches. We're going to tell you what you can look forward to coming up at the Final Four in Dallas. We will have Danielle Donahue, the executive director at the WBCA, with the scoop right after the break. Third quarter, scouting report. One of our objectives on Around the Rim is to educate the fans of women's basketball. Yes, we talk about the games and we talk about coaches, great players. Uh, but another aspect of what we do is educating you on what happens on the business side of our game and just different resources that are available to coaches, to fans, to players, to media that can help us work as the collective unit to grow our game. And with that being said, we're approaching the final four. That's right. I will be headed to Dallas this week, and I am already registered for an event that I think is the most important thing that happens on a final four weekend other than the games themselves, and that's the WBCA convention. And right now, uh, I would like to welcome into the show the executive director of the WBCA, the Women's Basketball Coaches Association, Danielle Donahue. Welcome, Danielle. Thanks so much, Latina. I'm excited to visit with you today. Well, I am so happy to have you on the show. For those that don't know, Danielle is is a good friend of mine. She, I, Listen, I'm just honored that she makes time for me because she's so smart and so busy that um, she could have kicked me out of her girl circle already. But um, I, I just don't I don't I don't stack up. But she's been nice enough to keep me around. <laughs> we actually played against each other um, as Danielle played at Georgia Tech and I played at Wake Forest. She was a three point shooter and I just um, tried to block her shot occasionally, which did not go very well. You um, blocked Danielle... some of my shots. <laughs> I don't you... know. I still I can't find anything on record. Nobody will believe me. So. <laughs> I'm... I'm still having trouble justifying that. But just to give fans a quick background on Danielle, uh, before we jump into the WBCA, as I mentioned, Danielle played at Georgia Tech, uh, where she went on to earn her degree and would later on be named an ACC legend for her contributions to both Georgia Tech and the ACC. And Danielle's done a ton, so I'm going to hit some a couple of bullets here. Um, she also, after leaving Georgia Tech, um, worked for Pat Summit at the University of Tennessee for the Lady Vol program for seven years. And she was a part of 
Lady Vols trips to six Final Fours. Wow, that's incredible. And two national championships. Um, and did a lot of wonderful things there alongside Pat Summit. She's also worked for the WNBA at various levels, um, including being the executive vice president for the Atlanta Dream, helping that team and franchise really get off of the ground from the very beginning, uh, including helping to bring the team to Atlanta. Uh, Danielle would also go on to have stops at the American Athletic Conference um, as an associate commissioner, also at the Big East as an associate commissioner. So she has conference level experience as well. Um, Danielle is always in the community. She's very active with the Pat Summit Foundation, as well as the K. Yao Cancer Fund Board. Um, and, and congratulations also, Danielle, as I know you are first vice president of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame Board of Directors. That's awesome. And also... Um, a member of the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame Board of Trustees. I mean, gosh, every level of women's basketball, you are a part of it. But let's talk about your your day job here as the executive director of the WBCA. Give the fans just an idea of kind of what you do day to day, what the organization offers coaches, and kind of what was attractive about this opportunity for you. Well, Lachina, thank you so much for your gracious introduction. I don't know if all that makes me seem old, but uh, <laughs> I, I, I'm, very, <laughs> I'm very thankful for the path that I've been on, and I'm, I'm thankful to our game. I love our game. And, and the opportunity at the WBCA was something that I was, I was so excited about because some of my greatest mentors in my life were coaches. They were my coaches. Um, they were coaches that I worked with and for, um, coaches that I served in different relationships and different levels of the game. And I thought that, you know what, for me, there would be nothing greater than to help serve and protect and empower um, our coaches at every level of the game. And so the WBCA was an opportunity I was so excited about. I was so thankful to be able to, to move back to Atlanta, my hometown, and, and be able to, uh, to work every day on, on how to serve um, our coaches. And so for the WBCA, you'll, you'll know that, that we were founded in 1981. Uh, we have a very rich history. We have always had coaches um, lead us and, and uh, serve on every level of, of our administrative courses we we were, were founded by coaches, were led by coaches, and certainly I and my staff, we work every day to be an extension um, of, of our coaches and of the coaches' voice and will for the game. Uh, one of the things that, that your listeners may or may not know is that first and foremost, we are the professional association for all coaches of women and girls basketball. Our membership is 60% women. 40% men from the grassroots level all the way to the WNBA and, and the international space. And so uh, there is plenty for us to work on every day. Every day is different, um, but it's always exciting. And the WBCA back in 1981 was founded for, for two main reasons. One was to make sure that, that we could affect and guide the governance of the game with all the uh, governing bodies at every level. And then secondarily, um, and, but equally important, is to 
um, to have an awards program to help mark and celebrate um, those individuals that, that are our pillars as we move forward in history um, of, of our, uh, our, our best leaders, our best players, our best coaches um, to commemorate all the great accomplishments um, uh, along, the, along the timeline of our game. And so we, we take those responsibilities very seriously, and, and uh, certainly we, we work every day to be able to serve our members at every, um, every stage of their journey, whether you're a beginning coach or whether you're a, um, a veteran coach, we have something for you, and we always want to make sure our coaches are growing and they're able to uh, lean on one another to, uh, to, to help them uh, throughout their career. And with that for you, um, what kind of impact coming in did you want to have on uh, the WBCA as you looked at the opportunities that were in front of you? Well, uh, I'll tell you, LaChina, you, you know me well. Um, I, I am a nerd. Uh, I, <laughs> I, love, um, I love processes and procedures. I love um, formalized structures. Um, I was uh, had an industrial and systems engineering degree from Georgia Tech, and so I'm I'm very much a proponent of of formalizing the business structure, um, creating creating effective pipelines of of communication and information flow, uh, making sure that that everything that we do that there's a um, an efficient process and procedure in terms of, of tightening up our, our business processes. But um, in terms of the, the greater impact for the game, I, I am a big believer that the coach's voice, the coach's perspective is vitally important. Um, our coaches are on the front lines of our game with our student-athletes every single day. They are the, the key um, to our game. They, they, they are in the trenches. And so it's important to be able to support them um, and guide them and at the same time promote them and, and, and be able to position them properly um, to lead. Uh, I, I love being able to sit in a room or, or on the phone or in any of my travels. Uh, I love to be able to pick the brains of our coaches and, and, and understand the history of where we have come from, um, but also to dream about what we can be uh, where our game can go, and and what are the metrics that we need to create in order to to create measurable objectives um, to chart our our path forward. And so I'm I, I have a laundry list of things that I uh, that that are on my whiteboard that that I'm looking forward to getting to. Um, but I'm I'm just finishing my third year on the job, and uh, I'm really proud of, of what we've done in these, these first three years. I, I'll also say that one of the things that was most important to me, most impressive to me, was as, as soon as I was hired, I was able to, to really spend some time with our, our past presidents and our board of directors, and these coaches are just, they are selfless. They are giving so much of their time and their energy and their talent and their service to one another, to their peers, to the association, and, and they care. And these coaches are so impressive, and they, they love the game, and they love their student-athletes, and, and they, are, they are teachers, and they, they believe in building people. And 
and it's really powerful to be able to to work with them. I, I've probably been most impressed with how how amazing these coaches that you see they're they're keeping incredible schedules right they're flying all over the country they're competing in all of these games they're training their student athletes but they find time to serve the WBCA because they believe in the profession and they believe in their calling to be a coach and and they're making sure that that they're able to to protect and support the association and protect and support their peers and protect and support the game um, as as we continue to evolve. So, um, I think my greatest role is is to be a facilitator um, of the coach's voice and to make sure that that as we work really well with so many wonderful partners, whether it's the NCAA, we have a fantastic relationship with the NCAA. Whether it's ESPN, we have so much, so many wonderful things to say about about what ESPN has done for our game. Uh, it's it's important for us to work well with all of these partners, create um, create strategies to where we can work together and we can build on one another uh, for the good of the greater family. So that's I think that's where I um, I'll be valuable. Hopefully, I've been valuable for the, the first three years, and and I hope that they'll keep me around for a long, long time to come. <laughs> you definitely have been valuable because I'll tell you this. I mean, I I. I... I'm a member of the Women's Basketball Coaches Association. For those of you that are out there, they have various levels of of membership. You don't have to be a coach. Um, And so you should definitely log on to the site and check out becoming a member um, and and just all the wonderful things. As as Danielle mentioned, your first year you went on a listening tour, which I totally respect, uh, just listening to everyone and what their thoughts were and really being strategic about where you wanted to impact the game right away. And then even with your long-term vision, knowing what had been done, what hadn't worked. And I think sometimes when people come into a new position, that's often the part that, you know, there's so much to do that you don't listen to the membership. And I appreciate that you did that. Also love the fact that I mean, you, you, you worked alongside Pat Summit, you know, so you have a great understanding of, uh, the highest levels of where these coaches want to go, the, co- the kind of success they want to have, and what was important to arguably the greatest coach that's ever coached um, women's basketball and, and kind of the things that were important to her. So you have that insight as well. Another thing I want to mention that I, I'm always impressed with is that, you know, the membership, it, it, it's really a membership-run organization where the coaches decide and get to vote on a lot of things. So this is not about, okay, hey, we're going to pick this person to do that and you're on you're doing this and you know it's really run by the membership which I can appreciate um Danielle a huge part of what you do is this coaches convention the the WBCA convention that happens during the final four what are you looking forward to in Dallas and kind of what goes into putting an event like this together to serve the coaches yes the the convention is is a it's a masterpiece, I'll tell you that. There's, there's, uh, there's so much planning that goes into preparing for an event like this, and, and I really am I'm so thankful for my talented staff. When, when I was hired, I, um, I already had a, an amazing staff that, that had served the coaches, that had run the convention for, um, for years and years and years and, and, and done a really, really nice job. I have so many talented people on my team and I'm, I'm very thankful for them. 
but I'll tell you one of the one of the big questions that that was posed to me, and as I was as I was listening um, on my listening tour, and I was talking with past presidents, and I was talking with different marketing and branding folks in terms of strategy moving forward, it was the it was it was how does how does all this work together in in the sense that historically a lot of times people would learn in person at a convention it might be four or five days in person and then um, for the WBCA specifically coaches would then go back to their teams and they would they would uh, conduct their programs and lead their programs and then they would come back for the convention and it would be again four or five days and. And, and I wanted to make sure that, that we were really innovative in how we communicated and served our members. And so we, we actually have recently launched, after, after uh, last year, uh, we launched a new website. And, and we were using the website um, to, to serve our members for the other 360 days a year. And, and then... All the digital programming that we have, all the digital support that we have, it then it, it nicely feeds into the content um, that's then covered in person at the convention for these four days um, that we're together. And so, I am excited about now the 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 continuum of education, the continuum of learning um, that we have been putting into place, um, the the growth opportunities for our coaches specifically coming up for Dallas, this is the largest pre-registration that we've ever experienced in our history. We have over 2,300 coaches registered wow. today um, for the convention. And so we, we, we think that number will grow um, over the next couple of days. And, and so it'll be a, it'll be a powerful number. A um, couple of highlights that I'm excited about. We have some sessions that we call our focus sessions, and they're for the full membership. Um, one of them is about coaching the Generation IY with Tim Elmore, and uh, you might be aware of, of Tim's recommendations and, and, and all, of, all of his teaching. Um, he's a very, uh, very respected teacher on this topic, and, and certainly um, our coaches want to make sure that they can, can lead and motivate and serve um, this generation of student athlete, and so Tim is going to take our coaches through a, a great learning session, and then we have another um, focus session for the full membership that is is focused on mental health and personal accountability. You know, mental health is is a big issue right now in in the NCAA for um, young men and young women. It's it's important that our coaches know how to help. Uh, our student athletes and what their responsibilities are, how to make sure we have a healthy environment surrounding our student athletes. And then if a student athlete needs help, what do you do? And, and how do you create a, a teamwork of, of, um, of experts around them to serve them? Um, one, of the, one of the nuggets that I heard at the NCAA convention that really spoke to me is that, that one in five um, students in college, so this is if even if you're not an athlete, just a general student, um, one in five of them um, is suffering from depression, and those are the people who actually raise their hand and say, I need help. So, that, so there's, there's more than just one in five in terms of our numbers, and, and that's something we need to be very aware of. We need to make sure we're, we're helping um, our student athletes have a great experience. Um, in terms of our awards program, we, we will celebrate at this convention 
and we will honor all of the award winners. Um, you'll know that we, we have uh, awards that we give out for our student-athletes, for our coaches of the year. We, we even give out awards for the administrator of the year and a, a Jocelyn's Berenson Lifetime Achievement Award. Uh, we have the Victory Club, which is when we honor coaches who reach the 100-level milestones. And you might remember that this year Tara Vanderveer earned her 1,000th win. Um, yes. We'll be honoring Tara, which will be great. Uh, we'll honor all of our All-America teams. Um, at, at every level of membership, and and you you'll you'll recognize the uh, the coaches trophy, which is the Waterford Crystal Trophy um, that yep. that I get to present at the end of the the national championship game. Um, that's that's one of our most recognizable awards, and and um, and and finally our Wade Trophy, which is our Heisman. It's our Player of the Year for for Division One. Um, that's always an exciting one. One other thing, Lachina, that I I really would like for our our listeners to to know is that that our coaches believe in in sharing information with their peers and helping their peers grow and so we have we have learning labs about recruiting being a great assistant coach fundraising communications we have on-court presentations by mike neighbors of washington jeff walls of louisville joni taylor of georgia carla barubi of tufts we have a mentoring madness session where we're going to put 200 mentees in small groups and, and put them, pair them with some head coaches to talk about pertinent coaching issues. And two things that I'm, I'm, I'm always excited about. One is our So You Want to Be a Coach program. I know, LaChina, you've, you've spoken to this group in the past and helped us um, with this group, but this is, this is our program. So You Want to Be a Coach is, is a program where we try to um, create a pipeline for those graduating student athletes to get right into the coaching ranks and, and help them make that transition and know what it means to be a coach and, and how to, how to, how to begin a career in coaching. And finally, the, one of the new programs this year that, that I am, I'm, I'm excited about is, you know, everything's bigger in Texas and Texas has a huge, huge, high school coach population. And so this year um, we're launching for the first time a high school coaches day. Um, it's this Friday, March the 31st, and we're going to have a great, great curriculum. We've got Gary Blair and Karen Ashton um, speaking for, uh, for the high school coaches and, and other um, prominent high school coaches and, and different professionals and experts leading that curriculum. So um, we've got something for every level of coach, and, and this Dallas is going to be outstanding. Wow. I am so excited. I cannot wait. I get there this week, Danielle, and I am just, I cannot wait to dive in. This is just awesome. Thank you to you, your staff. Um, and all the work that you've put into this. Um, just before I let you go, let us know where we can follow you, whether it's on social media or how uh, we can best support the WBCA. Well, thank you. Please, uh, when you come to the convention, we have a WBCA app. So all the information about the convention is within our WBCA app. You can follow me on Twitter, at Danielle Donahue, or you can follow the WBCA um, as well on Twitter. So I, I appreciate the uh, likes and, and following us. We are so excited about the convention. And, um, and go to our app. All the information is in the WBCA convention app. 
Yeah, and I just, I actually downloaded my app and you can add to the calendar what events you want to go to. You can look at who's speaking. It's absolutely fantastic. Danielle, you are the bomb and I'm so excited about the future of this organization um, with you at the helm and you as the leader. We will definitely have you back on Around the Rim um, another time just to delve in even deeper into kind of what we can all do to continue to support the game. So, Thank you, and have a blast in Dallas. I will see you soon. Sounds great. Thanks, Lashina. See you soon. Safe travels. Thank you. Fourth quarter. Out of bounds. All right, fans. So we are headed into the fourth quarter, and we have been listening to you on Twitter. We know that you guys are full of questions, and we wanted to make sure that we got a chance to reach out and get one in for you guys today. So Lachina. Yes. We have a question from one of our fans at SL Cool 70. Name is Shonda Latrue. And our question for you was, how was your experience being around Dawn Staley and her staff and the team you were covering Stockton? So she wants to know about your experience there. Oh man, it was amazing to be to be honest. I mean, there were four outstanding teams there, you know, so I just want to say first of all that um, you know, I was impressed with Scott Ruick for Oregon State. Sydney Weiss was amazing. Um, and then Quinnipiac uh, with Trisha Fabry and her team. What an awesome story. So we were we were very fortunate. And then we moved into the to the regional championship. And Sue Semrau is one of the classiest coaches I've ever been around. I've known Sue since I was a player at Wake. And um, I just love everything about how she goes about coaching, her relationships, um, everything that she's brought to the game. And so her players, Leticia Romero, you know, just some of the, my favorite people and players in covering the game. And then, of course, there's South Carolina. And I'll tell you this, Dawn is, it has been an inspiration to me since I was a very little girl, obviously. I won't say very little because that's going to make Dawn old. <laughs> she's going to come for you now. <laughs> she is going to come for me. But um, I've always been inspired, been inspired by Dawn. You know, just her background, coming from Philly, always being the underdog, and not caring, you know, she's a five, six point guard who just is fearless. And um, as an African-American woman as well, you know, I, I just was so happy to see her name head coach of the Olympic team. That's monumental, you know, as uh, from a, as a former player um, to see a player named to that position, especially a woman of color. So I'm already wowed by her. But the enthusiasm of her team is amazing. Like Asia Wilson is one of the most captivating figures I've ever covered uh, her energy, her confidence, her charisma. Um, she is such a great communicator. Her her leadership with her team. Like I am always just in awe of everything she says and does. I can watch her all day. And then you add to that her dominant performance on the court. I am just so. She is great for the game of basketball. And so that is really the personality of this team. They're really loose. They have fun. I thought Dawn was more relaxed than I have ever seen her. I mean, I've covered Dawn's programs going back to her early days in South Carolina. I used to call their games when she first got there, and it was just a different feel, you know, maybe even a little pressure. Uh, but she's so relaxed. Lisa Boyer is hilarious. She was getting on me about eating snacks. And, um, of course, I love Nikki McCray, Fred Shamil. I mean, Melanie Balka, Markeisha Grant, who is their GA, who used to be on the team. So they just have a great vibe. I mean, I, I, it's hard to put into words, but some teams you're around them and you're like, oh, they're great on the court. But this is a program that is great on the court. They're great people. 
There's no arrogance about them. They're in the community, and, and I just enjoyed every moment of it. Well, that's great to hear. And you are going to be headed to Dallas for the final four and everyone. She's going without me. So if you see her or light her up on Twitter and say, how dare you leave and not take your producer? But it's okay. Fans, (laughs) you know what you got to, you got to start doing fans. You got to start tweeting hashtag around the rim. We want around the rim at the final four. Mm -hmm. So we, we're going to try to next year bring a live show, but we need you guys to just. Let it be known that you want to see Tarika and I and you want us to do a live show from the Final Four. So tweet us because, uh, yeah, let us know you want some love at the Final Four next year because I want my girl Tarika there and we wanted to do a live show. It just didn't turn out the way we wanted to. That's okay. We're not giving up. Absolutely. Well, fans, it's been real. We're I'm, I'm good. I've done. The show has been awesome. I don't have anything left to give. I'm good. I'm good. I'm well, good. you guys can definitely find us all over Twitter. I am at she knows sports underscore. Our wonderful host, LaChina, is at LaChina Robinson. So you make sure you guys hit us up, follow us, subscribe to the podcast and the ESPN app, and we will see you next week after we got a winner. We love you, fans. We love you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app. Oh, <laughs>